2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Please join me as we read this together in unison. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come again this morning to this text, we are grateful to your work of grace for your work of grace in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to keep it at the forefront of our minds as we walk through these rather intense exhortations of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. May we always remember that it is only by your grace that we can make progress in any of these things. We pray that you would strengthen us above and beyond what we could ask or think, as we've heard a few times in prayer this morning. We're thankful for your indwelling spirit. We're thankful for what you are doing through Christ in the church forever and ever for your own glory. We're thankful that you you have called us your children, that you have made us your household, that we are the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would shape our hearts, our minds, our desires to live in unity with what you have called us to. And may it be for your glory. We ask these things. We ask for understanding. We ask for conviction. We ask for exhortation and encouragement. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we mentioned last week, as we've continued to work through the second letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1 in 2 Timothy has largely focused on the preservation of the gospel message. You remember with me that Paul is exhorting Timothy at the end of his own life because he's in prison, he's on the, he's on the road to martyrdom, and Timothy is his successor. And he's calling Timothy to preserve the gospel message, to perpetuate biblical ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. And certainly now the Apostle Paul is working to preserve or to um, prepare this man, Timothy, for the task that is ahead of him. We looked at maybe a a possible outline of of chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. And if you would, just let your eyes sort of glance down the page with me of 2 Timothy I think we could title the whole chapter, and we'll be working through this, but we can entitle the whole chapter, A Portrait of the Good Servant of Christ. And we borrow that wording from 1 Timothy chapter 4, many months ago when we looked through that chapter. The good servant of Christ is the one who faithfully preserves the message, ministers biblically, and pursues personal godliness in all things. And so 2 Timothy 2 is this preparation of Timothy. In, chapter, in verses 1 through 7, we see the character of the servant of Christ. His character. 
And then when you move into verses 8 through 13, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy the motivations of the good servant of Christ. Verses 14 through 19, we see his responsibilities. Things like rightly dividing the word of truth. We'll look forward to getting to verse 15, such a well-known verse in this text. In chapters 20 and 21, or in verses 20 and 21, we see the good servant of Christ's motivations, that he would be a vessel, honorable, set apart for the master's use. Verses 22 through 26, we see his responses, especially to difficult people that oppose the gospel. How is he to respond to, as Paul says, his opponents? And he says so here with gentleness with kindness, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, trusting in God to grant them repentance. So we have some precious things to work through here as we consider Paul's preparation of the man, his character, his motives, his responsibilities, his ambitions, his responses. But this morning we're going to continue to look at verses 1 through 7. We got through a portion of it last week and we'll pick up again this week. The main idea of this text, if I could summarize, it would be this. Pursue the character of the good servant of Christ by the strength of Christ's grace. And you'll notice in this text that Paul skillfully exhorts Timothy to this character, especially by putting before him metaphors. Look again at verses 1 through 7. You'll, you'll notice Paul goes through several. First, the steward in verse 2. The soldier in verses 3 and 4. The athlete in verse 5. The farmer in verse 6. And we might be able to call verse 7 the student. And so we've got some of these to look at this morning together and we can ask the Lord together to form within us, through the Holy Spirit, the character of the good servant of Christ. Well, what is the character of the good servant of Christ? Last week we talked about two. And I hope that we'll be able to look at the rest of them today. First of all, last week, we remember that we looked at the fact that he is strengthened by grace. Foundational to the character of the good servant of Christ is that he does not depend upon himself. He trusts in Christ. He realizes that all strength, all grace, all ability to do the will of God and to do the ministry biblically comes from Christ like Paul said in other, in other letters, who is sufficient for these things? To, to live guarding the gospel, following the pattern of sound words, giving the gospel faithfully to others, requires divine grace, not human ability. And so that's Paul's first exhortation to Timothy, to strength, be strengthened by the grace of Christ. You then, my child, verse 1, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We looked at that in some detail last week. Secondly, also last week, we looked at Paul's exhortation to Timothy to pursue the character of a faithful steward. What does a faithful steward do? Well, the master entrusts a precious possession to the steward. And his goal is to preserve it, to keep it faithful, and to keep it precious, to keep it to keep it from danger, from from harm, from from being spoiled. And so this is God's call to Paul, to Timothy, also to us, in terms of the gospel. 
The deposit, what has been entrusted to Timothy is the deposit from Paul to Timothy and now to other faithful men who will be able to give it to others also. We see this in verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have a precious deposit. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message of eternal life. The saving news of God made man who lived a righteous life in our place, who died on the cross, absorbing our guilt, taking the punishment that we deserve, which is what the cross is all about, and then willing to give all of that to sinners who trust in Him, who turn from their sin. That's the deposit we have, the message of Christ. And so we see four generations, right in verse 2, from Christ to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to faithful men, from faithful men to others also. And we have this obligation on our lives as well to value the deposit of the gospel, to understand that people are not saved apart from the message of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And so they must hear the name of Christ. This message gives life. The Spirit of God accompanies the message of the gospel into the hearts of the sinner and causes them to be born again and express faith and repentance toward Christ. And so we have that precious treasure. And we are to pass it on to one another so that it is safely kept and transmitted faithfully. Not only is the good servant of Christ to be strengthened by grace and a faithful steward, but let's look thirdly this morning, and you can certainly follow along in your outline, he is to be a good soldier. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul repeats this exhortation that he took up in chapter 1. Share in suffering, Timothy. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. One of these days, I'd like you met one of you men who's been in the military to get up and teach us a little more about, about the Apostle Paul's illustration. It's such meaning for us. The soldier is not a rare Pauline analogy for the Christian life and ministry. Let me take you on a little bit of a journey with these texts of Scripture. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Paul often compares the Christian life to the life of a soldier. And that has certainly come out in many Christian songs along the way as well. Onward Christian soldiers, stand up, stand up for Jesus. So many hymns speak to the life of the soldier as applied to the Christian walk. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we walk around in these fleshly bodies, yet we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You can see the words of warfare that Paul brings to the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 and following certainly point to this as well. We are to take up the armor of God. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Notice the, the very similar wording at the beginning of this text as well as what we see here. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, and so on. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18 says again, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may, here it is again, wage the good warfare. Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy and verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And certainly we know well Paul's final words, some of Paul's final words in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As Timothy stirs up his spiritual gift, as we've heard Paul exhort him to do, and proclaims the gospel, as he holds fast to the words of the gospel and guards the gospel, and as he transmits the deposit to other faithful men for safekeeping and continuing transmission, he will need the character of a soldier. Why? Because in doing these tasks, he will become someone who is a primary target for the attack of the evil one in his worldly kingdom. Just because we cannot see what's going on in heavenly places does not mean it is not going on. And when we begin to walk, when Timothy begins to walk here in the way of the good servant of Christ, he will suffer for it. Share in suffering, Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And so Paul calls Timothy to take up two of the qualities of a good, exemplary, outstanding, honorable soldier. And the two qualities here that we can point out are, first of all, a willingness to suffer. And secondly, no soldier gets entangled. So let's call it this, a willingness to suffer and a motivated concentration. A focus, an undistracted focus. To be a soldier is to share in suffering. To be a soldier is to be willing to suffer. Ask some of our brothers who have been through it. From boot camp to combat, it's suffering. It's pain. 
You suffer to beat your body into subjection and make it a tool for military use. You suffer by being the object of enemy assault. Truly, there is no such thing in the true definition of being a soldier as a soldier who does not share in suffering. Hardship, danger, risk, attack, suffering is a matter of course in the life of a true soldier. And Paul calls Timothy to embrace that mindset as a soldier enlisted by Christ into his army. Notice how it says there at the end of verse 4, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Who, who enlisted him? Christ enlisted Timothy. And being an officer, if you will, in the army of Christ, Timothy will be even more of a target of attack and therefore experience great suffering. Listen to what Tertullian said in his address to martyrs. Think about it, just the title of that. Early church, Tertullian, a leader of the church, makes a treatise and he addresses who? Martyrs. Write a book to martyrs. How do, how do you handle that? And he says, no soldier does, goes to war surrounded by luxuries, nor goes into action from a comfortable bedroom but from the makeshift and narrow tent where every kind of hardness and severity and unpleasantness is to be found. End of quote. Being an enlisted soldier of Christ on active duty, as Timothy was, he would be exercising his mind in the sound words of the gospel. He would be praying always with all prayer and supplication, the Spirit, for all the saints. He would be training himself for godliness. Remember, Paul called Timothy to that in 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself for godliness. He'd be using his spirit-issued equipment to proclaim the gospel, defending, guarding the gospel from damage or loss, training and trusting, deploying other men with the gospel to do the very same things he was called to do. And Paul would not have him to think for a moment that such a life would be free from suffering. There's not a chance of that. Truly, there's not a chance of that. So Timothy must be willing to share in that suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, to embrace the mindset and endure that by the grace of Christ. But also Paul calls Timothy to the soldierly quality of motivated concentration. This is really something to meditate on, which Paul will call us to do at the very conclusion of this text. A soldier, verse 4, this is actually a word in the original that literally means a soldier on active duty. It's more than just a soldier. It says a soldier on active duty. A soldier on a military expedition. A soldier being deployed to go to war. That kind of soldier, and really that's the way we should think of ourselves as, as Christian followers, as followers of Christ. A soldier like that. I mean, when, when are we called to go to furlough? When does that happen? When we go to heaven, right? So no soldier on active duty gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Not one active duty soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. There's a couple of words here that mean to weave and, and to braid in and to be present in the middle of it. It's talking about continually weaving oneself into something 
always getting tangled up into something. What is it? Civilian pursuits. What are they? It's a very general word. Everyday life affairs. Normal daily business of earthly life. Now, when you hear that, okay, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, everyday life affairs. Well, then what am I supposed to do with my life then? How am I supposed to live? That kind of sets you back a little bit, doesn't it? You look at just what the words mean. Well, what's Paul's intent here? He's not to say, he's not saying that Timothy should not work a job in the world. That's not what he's intending. Paul himself did that, right? Paul was a tent maker. He commands Christian workers to be diligent and excellent and honorable in their, in their work. So that's not what Paul means. Paul's not saying that Timothy must avoid marriage and family. Peter was married. Paul encouraged both singleness and marriage and gave extensive instruction about these relationships. So that's not what he's talking about. Paul is not saying that Timothy should refuse the enjoyments of God's creation. In fact, you remember 1 Timothy chapter 4 at the beginning, Paul said that those things should be received with thanksgiving. So he's not saying don't enjoy God's creation. He's not saying don't have a family. He's not saying don't work. This is not to say that Timothy should escape living in the world by a secluded, cloistered life, if you will. Jesus himself prayed that we should live what? In the world, but not of the world. So what does Paul intend here? Paul's intent is to exhort Timothy to live in the world without getting entangled into the activities of worldly life so that, and here's what clarifies it for me, so that he would no longer be able to live on active duty as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Whatever degree that is, that causes you to check out that would cause Timothy to say, no, I'm not going to proclaim the gospel. I'm not going to, to pass on the gospel. I'm not going to train for godliness. All the things that Paul has called Timothy to do. Whatever causes you to say, I don't have time for those things, that's too much entanglement. And that's something we can always be monitoring in ourselves. Timothy must not allow himself to so engage in the duties of daily life in the world or even the good gifts and blessings of earthly life that he would be distracted from the duties to which he was called. Timothy was not created and placed into the world simply to survive or to seek to satisfy himself and be fulfilled by consuming his time and energy and abilities and resources on the daily activities of life. That's not why we're here. Why not? Well, because... Second part of verse 4, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Timothy was to live his daily life concentrating on and consumed by the pleasure of Christ, the one who enlisted him. Notice this, please, and I'm going to keep underscoring this throughout our time together, but this is not to please Christ in order to be enlisted in order to be saved, in order to gain favor with God, in order to be forgiven. It's not pleasing God to get His favor and to gain eternal life. But His desire is to please God because Christ had already enlisted Him. Have you noticed that? Since His aim was to please the one who enlisted Him. This is Timothy who is already righteous by Christ's righteousness and atoned for by Christ's cross. So Timothy isn't earning anything here. He is living out of love and gratitude to Christ who has already saved him. 
Because he loves Christ. Because he wants to bring Christ glory through the salvation of others. And so he was to use his daily life to accomplish the pleasure of his commanding officer. That's why Paul told him, stir up the gift. Follow the pattern. Guard the deposit. And trust it to others. All those exhortations to the follower of Christ and the officer of his church. His aim was to be pleasing to Christ in all of those things. Wholehearted concentration, commitment, devotion to what he had called him to do. The true soldier's aim is to do just what he has been commanded to do and to let nothing distract him from that aim. And Paul is calling Timothy to this level of concentration as a good servant of Christ. Let's bring this to some application for us, brothers and sisters. Has Christ enlisted you? If you have turned from sin and are trusting in Christ alone for salvation and you are a child of God, then you are an enlisted soldier of Christ as well. We're in His army. Do you think that way? That's part of what Paul is getting Timothy to do. Look what verse 7 says, and we'll come back to this, but think over what I say, Timothy. Do you think this way? Do I think this way? And so are you willing to share in suffering as a soldier of Christ, as, a, as the gospel advances in you and through you? Is that something you're willing to do, to share in that suffering? Are you committed to concentration in this? Are you opening to recognize that you are being distracted by the affairs of everyday life from remaining active in what pleases your enlisting officer? Do you ever get that sense that you're way too distracted by the things of this life? Do you ever have the awareness of that? And you go to the Lord in prayer, Lord, help me to reorient. I've got I've to cut some things out. I've got to put some things in. I need to reorient my schedule. I mean, how many times do we go through a year that I've got to reorient things? You know what causes us to have a sense of bearing in that? It's, it's Christ, our commanding officer, calling us to the things for which he saved us. As a soldier of Christ, your aim is to please him above all others. Are you willing to say no to so many everyday things so that you can say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and His call upon your life? You see, we, we say, we say a, a smaller no so that we can have a bigger yes, right? It's hard to say no, isn't it? It's hard to say no. We always think about this when we, when we put together our daily routines. We think if I don't, there's so many things that are urgent and emergency and right now, you know what, if I don't say no to so many of those lesser important things, I won't have room to say yes to what is most important. That's part of that focus that, that Paul is calling Timothy to. There's, an, there's so easy to be entangled, isn't it? Our military duties are much the same as they were for Timothy. To live our lives so that they adorn the gospel with love and purity. 
to train ourselves for godliness, just like Paul called Timothy. Train yourself for godliness, to pray for the gospel to be advanced among all people. To keep training ourselves in the words of faith and the good doctrine so that we don't leave the faith for legalism. Guard the gospel. To bring up our families in the teaching of the gospel. To exercise our spiritual gifts. To seek to meet the physical and spiritual needs of those God who, has, who, has got, who God has entrusted to our care. Some of us will entrust this to faithful men, right? Entrust the gospel. Some of us, that's, that's going to require the focus of a, of a soldier to preach the word, to equip God's people. There's so many different tasks among us that the Spirit of God has called us to. And so as we seek to live like enlisted soldiers for the pleasure of Christ, we have to be ready to endure suffering. So let me ask you that. What's your suffering? What is, what is the suffering that God has ordained for you that pushes back against these efforts to which God has called you? What are your distractions? What so easily distracts you from what God has called you to in Christ, in the body of Christ? The things that, that Paul has been saying to Timothy. It will be invariably true, dear ones, Please listen to this. It will be invariably true that when we as Christ's people, by Christ's grace, take up these duties that we've been saying again and again and make it our aim to please Christ in this way, that the evil one and the system of darkness will do all in their power to discourage us by suffering and distraction by the affairs of this life. Have you noticed that? Have you experienced it? You can see it in one another sometimes. When God is at work and He's doing a work and, 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 those are, and folks are growing to train in godliness and, and love the gospel and bring their family up in it and so on, what happens? Pressure. Distraction. It is invariably true. Affliction and distraction come at you whenever Christ works in your heart to bring you to the next level of training and spiritual devotion and maturity. Christ calls us to that, to suffer and concentrate. But thanks be to God, here's where we come back to this drum I keep pounding with every point. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, at home, at work, in our families, in the body of Christ, in the world. Christ will strengthen you. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It seems that you could take this text and with each verse draw an arrow back to verse 1. Because that's where you have to keep going with this. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Pray for it. Count on it. Pursue the character of a good servant of Christ by the strength of Christ's grace. So not only do we have a good servant of Christ to be strengthened by faith and by grace, a faithful steward, a good soldier, fourthly, a lawful athlete. Look at verse 5 with me. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
In verse 5, Paul calls Timothy to embrace the character of an athlete and apply that character to his Christian life and ministry. Again, this is another image that is very familiar to the Apostle Paul, an athlete. This is someone, when we see this word here, someone who is engaged in a contest, who competes in public games, most notably the Olympic Games, the Greek Olympic Games, or what Paul would have had in his mind here in the arena, who contends for a prize, even one who endures and suffers in the training for that conflict and the conflict itself. Paul is pressing upon Timothy the real perspective that the Christian life and a life of gospel speaking is a life of training, self-discipline, conflict, contention, competition, and a life that will require endurance in all of that. Paul further presses upon Timothy that just as an athlete will not win the prize, like it says here, he will not be crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So Timothy will not win the prize unless he competes in the Christian life and the Christian ministry according to the rules of the master of the game, the Lord Jesus Christ, you could say. And the prize for which the Olympic athlete competed was the high honor of the laurel wreath, right? The, the woven greenery that would be placed upon his head publicly in front of all, all the people in the stadium by maybe this Caesar or someone representing him. But for the Christian, the prize is not a perishable wreath like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. It's not a perishable wreath or crown made of laurel, but the imperishable crown of the glories of eternal life. As you, as you hear me talking about this right now, I'm wondering if you have this little hitch in your thinking and you're saying, is, 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 is he telling me, is Paul saying to Timothy that he could lose his salvation? So he's a Christian, he begins to run his race, and if he doesn't do it lawfully, he'll, he won't get the prize. He can lose his salvation. Is that what you think Paul is saying? And the answer, I want you to be clear, is absolutely not. But what you see in the apostles' writings constantly is a call to perseverance, a call to prove who you are in Christ. It's not a call to earn. It's a call to prove what Christ has already done in you. Paul is telling Timothy that he must not become presumptuous and apathetic, and take for granted who he says or he thinks he is as a professing Christian and as a Christian minister and a servant of Christ. Instead, he must, by the strength of Christ's grace, devote his life to demonstrating that he is a genuine, good servant of Christ. How? By his endurance, by his perseverance in godly living and gospel integrity. And that athletic self-discipline and that athletic perseverance through suffering and pain that produces endurance and that strength of character is the mark of a genuine and good servant of Christ just as it is the mark of a good athlete who will win the prize. So then what are the rules of the game? That, that would be my question as I come to this. An athlete is not crowned. He won't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules or the rules. What would Paul say are those 
rules that need to be persevered in. Well, again, let me, let me show you some texts of Scripture that Paul uses this, this terminology. Paul takes this, these references to athletic competition and the athletic prize and works them through his writing. And let's see if we can discover by looking at these some of the rules of the game and the prize at the end of the game. Would you turn again with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? What I want you to notice in this text is a few things, but one of the things is that you can see that Paul is not presumptuous himself. He's not presumptuous about his own standing with God. He is confident in Christ. He is assured in Christ, but he lives to prove out who he is in Christ. Look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? 1 Corinthians 9.24 All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So, run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As you look at that test, what text, what would you say are the rules of the game? What does Christ call his children to as they run as athletes? Self-control in all things? Disciplining our bodies so that all its cravings are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And again, keeping your eye on the prize. Do you see Paul saying those things? I don't run aimlessly. I discipline my body. So that its cravings under control. Self-control in all things, verse 25. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. This is a... These these, um, profiles of character that the Apostle Paul brings out are profiles of the Christian life that we don't focus on very often, I would say. And that maybe we need to more often and again, to see their connection to God's grace working in our lives, but not to sweep them away so quickly. Galatians 5, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What would be the rules of the game in this text? Obeying the truth. What what does he mean by that? In this context, this is talking about total submission to the gospel from God, regardless of the opinions of our culture. Galatia was a church who had swerved from the truth of the gospel into legalism. And he's saying to them, you were running so well. You started off, you believed the gospel in the beginning. What happened to you now? Are you getting distracted? So that's part of the rules of the game is to 
continue to submit our hearts to the truth of the gospel and not to be distracted by all of the gospel perversions that surround us. Look at Philippians 3. And we'll summarize these again, but just just take this in for a few moments. Take Take these analogies of the athlete that Paul writes about. Take them into your heart. Philippians 3, 12. Look what Paul writes here. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can can hear Paul's marathon terminology there. The prize. Pressing on. Straining. Reaching. What are the rules of the game? Pressing on to make Christ's righteousness become more than our position in Him. That's what Paul's talking about there. I want Christ. I want to know Him, he says, in the power of resurrection, in the fellowship of His suffering. I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to be perfect like Christ someday. And so Paul presses for that. He he knows he's righteous in Christ. He's declared righteous. He's justified. He's positionally righteous before God. But now, the practice of righteousness has to work itself out. And finally... That perfect experience of righteousness when he sees Jesus face to face. That's his goal. That's what he's pressing on toward. Christ-likeness. To press on. Don't consider the past life in the world. The sins that may pull you down. They're forgiven. They're, they're, they're cleansed. Keep looking to Jesus. Right? Press on. Don't, for, don't consider the past. Forget what lies behind. Strain on. Press on to what lies before. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 4 some more terminology that Paul weaves into this analogy. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, here it is, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Those words of training that Paul uses here are also speaking of the gymnasium. Train yourself for godliness. That's part of the rules of the game. Continue to press on toward Christ-likeness. Perseverance in that. Endurance in that. Look over at Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know if Paul wrote Hebrews... It's awfully a lot like his his writing in so many ways, but it sure borrows this kind of terminology of the athlete again. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, take this in, dear ones. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, 
despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is such a helpful text. I look at that text and I ask myself the question, I'll ask you, have we yet shed blood in our resistance to sin? Have we yet suffered the hostility that Christ suffered toward himself? And we can answer to both those things, no. And so, don't grow weary or faint-hearted in it. God's grace is at work in you. What are the rules of the game here? Lay off whatever weighs us down. That's a lot like being entangled in the affairs of everyday life. Lay it off so that we can run. What's holding you back from running toward Christ-likeness and gospel integrity? Lay it off. And not just the weights, but the sins that cling so closely. This is what Paul is calling us to. He doesn't get in all the details of how that's worked out in the Christian life, but he's calling us to some, some character profiles here. Run with endurance the race set before us. And most importantly, continually looking to Jesus. That's part of the race. Continually looking to Jesus. Considering Jesus. You see that? Verse 3, consider Him. Verse 2, looking to Him. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He had His eyes set on the prize too, didn't He? The joy set before Him. The joy of having a people purified for God for all of eternity. He had His eye on that prize. What He prayed about at the end of John 17 is what He had His eyes on. That all of us who are in Christ would be gathered to the Father, enjoy His love forever, experience perfect unity in His glory, and rejoice in that. That's His joy. And so He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now victorious. James 1.12 James 1.12 Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The prize is in view here. What's the prize? The crown of life, eternal life. That, that word crown throughout the scriptures is the final prize in view, the, pride of, the prize of eternal life in the presence of God. First Peter chapter 5 also gives us a prize that's in view. First Peter 5 and verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory to be able to experience the glory of God in fullness and to be able to reflect the glory of God as we ought to. That's the prize. That's part of the prize. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Again, we, we looked at that a little bit earlier, but review it in, in light of, of this particular point of, of the athlete. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me not a, uh, on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. What's the prize? 
perfect righteousness. Not just in position, not just growing in our practice, but perfect. No sin, no temptation. That's the prize. That's the prize. And so we fight, we finish, we keep the faith, we love his appearing, we have our eyes set on the goal. So, have you noticed some repetition throughout those texts, some themes that we keep coming to as we've gone through this, this stretch of Pauline writing? Here's a summary. What does it mean to Paul to compete by the rules of the game? One, I think it's to discipline self for gospel integrity. We begin to believe the gospel as a new Christian. Will we continue to believe the gospel until the day we see Jesus? That's part of competing by the rules. Not like the Galatians who swerved off into legalism. Not like the Colossians who swerved off into mysticism. Not like what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2. Those who took up the the Antichrist truth and fell away and went away. No, no, no. To compete by the rules, you must persevere in gospel integrity to discipline yourself for that. Do you? Is that one of your focuses as a follower of Christ? To not want to move away from the sound words of the gospel. And then secondly, to discipline self, to train, to deny yourself, to press, to reach. For what? For Christ-likeness. Godly living, throwing off sin, growing in righteousness. Practical purity. Is that your goal? See, we can swerve off that way too by going into a life of sin and forgetting all of the things that Christ has called us to. What happens if we do fall away from the true gospel or fall away into a life of unrepentant sin? Well, if we're true believers, Christ and the body of Christ will bring us back into it. But it could be that we prove ourselves to be an unbeliever because no one can lose their salvation. And so that's why Paul says, compete according to the rules and you'll win the prize. Gospel integrity. Godly living. And then to exercise endurance in both of those things, even through great hardship, which is par for the athlete's course, right? Remember the old saying? No pain, what? No gain. It's, that's the life of the athlete. To persevere no matter what. Because you've, you, your eyes on the prize. Jesus Christ, the one you love more than all that you may lose in the process. And the joys of the eternal reward that He will give you when He calls you to, across the finish line. And one day, what will He say? Matthew 25, 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Is that your mindset? Do you have the mindset of an athlete in this? And remember... Competing by the rules and winning the prize can only be accomplished through what? Strength from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is the one who holds you fast. He is the one who keeps you going in this. Consider Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of your faith. I keep coming back in these texts to Galatians 2.20. Paul's words, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, but yet it's not me. It's Christ who lives in me. And so the life I now live in this body and flesh, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Number five this morning, the toiling farmer. Number six, or verse six, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The hard-working farmer. Paul turns Timothy's attention to the character of a farmer. And just the way Paul focused on the athlete's commitment to compete by the rules of the game, now Paul focuses on the fruitful farmer's commitment to work hard. And again, I want to remind you of this. As Paul illustrates to Timothy the Christian life and ministry in that it includes and demands hard work, I know we're always cautious when we talk about the Christian life and work in one sentence. And rightly so. We should be cautious about that. Because we don't want to drift into thoughts and teachings that are legalistic and compromise the gospel of Christ. We don't want to think, begin to think in our minds, I am right with God because of Christ and anything else like my own work. We don't want to move in there. That would be to lose the gospel. But once we understand that we're not justified by our works, but justified on the basis of Christ's work alone, and once we understand that we, are, that we work not in order to be justified, but because we have already been justified, and once we understand that God, having planned from eternity all of our good works, and now enables all of our good works by His grace, we can then talk about the life and ministry being hard work. Enabled by grace, working from our justification. In fact, this word of hard work, Paul uses to describe the farmer. He uses it over and over again in his texts. Let me read to you some, and you can write down the references. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, And we labor, working with our hands, when we reviled, we bless. When we persecuted, we endure. Labor. This word means to, to toil. I mean, think, get the image in your mind that, that, that Paul has in his, this, this farmer out in the field, the sun's beating down on him, the, the soil is dry, there's sweat dripping down his forehead. And he's, he's continuing to press on. That's the idea. This is to work to the point of being exhausted. 1 Corinthians 15, it's another text. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul uses this word. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's, that's a precious verse. Three times you hear the word what? Grace. It's God's grace, but Paul did work. I mean, I don't, you, you read the scriptures, you think about the people that you know in Christian ministry. I can't think of anyone who worked harder than the Apostle Paul. Working at night, teaching in the day. I mean, 
the way he describes his life, not arrogantly, but just giving the facts. This guy had a grace-enabled work ethic for Christian life and ministry. Philippians 2.16. The Apostle Paul says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or what? Labor in vain. Colossians 1.29. The Apostle Paul says here, for this I toil. There's our word. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's toil. It's labor. 1 Timothy Chapter 4 and verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. When Paul envisioned those who the Lord would bring to Christ and it was his, his goal and his calling to preach the gospel, he toiled and strived for that. So Paul's point to Timothy is quite clear. Is training and personal godliness going to be easy? No, it's going to be labor. It's going to be toil. It's going to be like the hardworking farmer. Enduring God's discipline and training, toil. Stirring up the spiritual gift, toil. Discipling and teaching others in the word will be toil. Faithfully passing on the gospel for safekeeping and transmission, toil. To, to be unashamed of the gospel and its followers and share in suffering will be toil. Following the pattern, guarding the gospel, enduring hardship, persistent prayer, it's going to be toil. All of it will require very, very difficult labors, even to the point of exhaustion. How could it possibly be anything less with all that is working against the kingdom of Christ? within and without. See, a, farmer, a farmer's common existence is toil and sweat and endurance. And remember, Paul has in mind the farmer before the machines, right? Cultivating the soil by hand. Fertilizing the soil. Planting the seeds. Weeding and pruning. Harvesting and storing. And enduring the weather and the pestilence and any other threat to his crop. A tremendous amount of blood, sweat, and tears. But a good crop of corn would sooner come of a snoozing farmer than godly living and gospel faithfulness would come from a resting Christian. And so let's, let's bring that to some application for us. Do you realize, do you, do you embrace that mindset that though we are strengthened by the grace of God in the doing of good works, that, that our experience in that doing will be toil? It will be hard work. Please don't think that progress in Christ-likeness or gospel proclamation will be from a life of ease. It doesn't happen like that. All of it can be toil, whether prayer, learning the gospel, growing in godliness, laying off sin, enduring temptation, counsel and disciplining, of others in the body of Christ, teaching your families the word of God, speaking the gospel. It can all be toil at times. Why? 
Because there's great opposition in our own selves and in the world around us. And we only can do that by the grace of Christ. But just like the, the hardworking farmer, the reward will be precious. Do you see that? It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the, the first share of the crops. The farmer gets to taste that fruit first, right? The best of the crop. And so as we labor by the strength of Christ, we will know the sweet harvest of Christ-likeness. That's what will come of it. And a greater experience of God and His strength and His power that we can rejoice in and His goodness and greatness at work in our lives. And one day, being able to rejoice in seeing others stand before God in Christ's righteousness because He shared the gospel with them. So, all by the grace of Christ. Not only is the good servant of Christ to be strengthened by faith, a faithful steward, a good soldier, a lawful athlete, a hardworking farmer, but finally here, verse 7, a thoughtful student. And this is quite simple, and it's really what Paul is doing to bring everything to a conclusion. All of this wraps up in verse 7. He's compelling Timothy to think carefully about what he's saying to him. That is a simple point, but it's very, very important to think about these things carefully. You know, so much in our way of life and our culture derails us from healthy meditation, doesn't it? We are such fast-paced, soundbite people. We go from one thing to the next so quickly. And it is becoming more difficult and more difficult for people in our culture to focus on something and actually think about it for a long period of time and to pray about it and to meditate on it. But that's exactly what Paul is calling us to. He doesn't want Timothy to merely have some general mental comprehension of his words. Yep, got that. That makes sense to me. I'm moving on. No. He doesn't even want Timothy just to be intellectually impressed and stimulated by these clever metaphors. It's so much more than that. He wants Timothy to grasp the exact import of each point. The farmer, the athlete, the soldier, the steward. He wants him to grasp it. And to lay these points very carefully and thoughtfully over his life and apply them specifically and personally. He's calling him to do as he did in 1 Timothy 4.15. Listen, to attend carefully to these things. To meditate upon them. To immerse himself in them so that everyone would see his progress. There's no Christian progress without Christian application and thought and prayer and meditation. And here's our application. We must respond to these words the same way. Will you? Will this be the last time you think about these words this week? Or will you take these to prayer and think about what's going on in your heart? Are you being strengthened by grace? Do you know that you are being strengthened by the grace of Christ? Are you looking to Jesus in all things? Are you a faithful steward of the gospel? Are you willing to pass it on for safekeeping? for faithful transmission to the following generations. Do you realize that responsibility is upon you? Are you owning that? Are you a good soldier? 
Are you willing to suffer and concentrate on what Christ is calling you to? Are you a lawful athlete? Are you willing to exercise self-discipline and endurance for godly living and gospel integrity? Are you a hard-working farmer willing to offer exhausting toil for the sake of Christ? I wonder sometimes if, if, if I and, and we don't want to think deeply about such things because it will reveal too much about what's going on in our hearts, the sin that's there, the immaturity, our worldliness. And, and it would call us to something we really don't want to be summoned by. And, we, and sometimes something too costly for our earthly lives. That's what this will do to us, won't it? But dear ones, listen, it comes back to verse 1. As you go into this, trust the grace of God to strengthen you. Ask Him to strengthen you. If you are in Christ, all of His grace is available to you for this. His enabling power, His ability is at your disposal. Isaac Watts, he wrote what, Christian, what, what Christmas song? Joy to the World, right? One of the most well-known Christian, or Christmas songs. Listen to this song that he wrote. Am I a soldier of the cross? Do you know this one? Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause? Or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? And this is, this is a guy who, who knew what it was like to be a resistor of the system and stand for the gospel. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. And I, and I gain encouragement from these words because men like Isaac Watts knew what it was like to live in the heat of that. And he still says, I'm being supported by your word and your grace. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all, they, all the armies, all thy armies shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. Think about that song. You can listen to it online even as well and have it ring in your heart. And so what does Paul say will be the outcome of thinking about these things? The Lord will give you understanding. There's a promise for Timothy. It's a promise for us. The Lord will give us understanding, knowledge, insight. We need all of this to come together for us. And God will grant exactly that as we give ourselves to it. That's the character of a thoughtful student. Diligence to the text to gain understanding. And dependence upon the Holy Spirit to grant understanding in everything. The Holy Spirit would have us begin our application of this text and every other text of Scripture by diligent, dependent uh, meditation on it. Will you do that with me? Will you take this text and think over it like Paul exhorts us? That'll be the first step in asking the Spirit to grant these qualities in our character. Would you please stand with me this morning?
And before we pray, I want to ask you if you are a child of God. Do you know Christ as Savior and Lord? Through the saving work of Christ, you don't yet know the grace of Christ at work in your life if you are not His child. You know, sometimes we try to turn over new leaves. Have you ever heard of people saying that? Turning over a new leaf. I'm going to make some New Year resolutions. I'm going to try, to try to do better. It doesn't work for someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God within them. You see, your ruling impulse, if that's you, is not the grace of Christ. Do you know what your ruling impulse is? It's the desire of your earthly body and your mind, Paul says. You pursue what looks good and feels good and brings the admiration of others to you. That's what rules you if you're, if you're not in Christ. And that way of life can seem right to you, but the writer of Proverbs says that way ends in death. And that death is separation from God because to live, like Paul said, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Separation from God and eternity to live by my own bodily impulses and the, and the impulses of pride in my mind through life, that's a way of death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But here's the, here's the other part of the reality. You can see the fear of the Lord in bringing death upon those, eternal death upon those who live by the flesh. But God is also merciful. He loves to save people from that death, from the due punishment of their sin. He loves to save people. If you will humble yourself, mourn over your sin, mourn over its offense to God, it's just punishment and turn from that life of self-serving sin and come to the Lord Jesus and ask him to grant you salvation and his righteousness and his atoning death to be for you. He will be gracious to you. He promises that. He loves to save. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you come to Christ today if you have not already and receive his grace and know life and peace? I invite you to that today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to these texts again and we ask you to give us that grace. I want to experience your grace in great measure to, to move into these character qualities of Paul's, of Paul's exhortations. I want that for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Let this text be a, a great spur to that. May we give ourselves to meditating on these things. May we give ourselves to them by your Spirit at work in us. Father, we pray also that if someone is here who does not know you, that is still pursuing their own life of sin, that they want to be their own God and not submit to you, help them to see their, their grave danger. And that they would at the same time see your great mercy and go to Christ. I pray that if there is someone here that has been confused about the gospel, that you would help them to see the gospel of the New Testament and understand that it is 
that salvation comes to us who are sinful by Christ alone and not our own efforts. Father, enable us by your grace, all of us to persevere in the true gospel and not be distracted from it, to persevere in training unto godliness. Father, we fall so short and we are often so weak. We're always so weak. Any strength we experience is from you. Thank you that you hold us fast and you provide all we need through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.